spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hey, I'm really excited to be back with another interview. I know it's been a while. Um, I just finished writing Hungry Ghosts of Paradise and just completed publishing that audio novella to this podcast. And one of the things that I had been excited about as I was approaching the tail end of it was that I was going to have some creative energy freed up for things like doing interviews, um, which I really love doing. And today's guest is Brynja Magnuson. She wrote Animal Totems and the I Ching, which is a guidebook um, that combines human design, animal totems, the I Ching, gene keys. Um, It's a really profound and amazing text that has um, become part of my oracle practice, like kind of in a routine way. But the insights that she's shared in there Um, have had like a very deep impact on my vision of myself and my understanding of some of the more um, deep or mysterious themes that play in my life. So I'm incredibly grateful to her work. I also included an epigraph from the book in Hungry Ghosts of Paradise in one of the later chapters. Everyone that I've shared Brynja's book with has had you know, like it's such a fun thing now for me to do with my friends is like go to this book um And look up our animals, you know, so you'll have four animals that Brynja has mapped to um, human design based on, let me actually just like look it up right now so I know how to describe it. (laughs) Okay, so it's based on the incarnation cross, these four animals that you would get. Um, and this is a thing in human design that works with the personality sun, the personality moon, the design sun, and the design moon gates. So there's a graph, a graphic in the book to explain how to derive this information. But essentially, as I've gone through and looked at my friends' human design charts and mapped the four animals that they have, it's provided such uncanny insight into their lives and really fun conversations. So it is a fun book, I think, to have. I think it's an amazing tool for practitioners and anyone that works with human design. Um, I'm hype about the book, if you can't already tell. I just love it so much and have had such profound experiences with it. And I'm really continually amazed and impressed by Brynja's breadth and depth of consciousness and the way that she synthesizes um, these different mystery teachings and different facets of the occult um, and the insight that pours through her. I fucking adore her. (laughs) So I'm really excited to share this interview and be back um, to sharing interviews in general. I'm about to be traveling again. And so my um, interviews may be slow. They may not be. We'll see what happens. Um, But thank you for tuning in um, to the podcast. Thanks for tuning into Hungry Ghosts of Paradise um, if you had been and I will leave you to this after sharing a little bit about Brynja. 
Growing up between the lush forests of New York and the mossy lava fields of Iceland, Brynja has been immersed in nature spirituality since childhood. For over 10 years, she has been studying animal totems and the I Ching as a practical tool. After several life-altering spiritual encounters in nature resulting in the recovery from chronic illness, the study of spirituality has been her sole focus in career through modalities such as shamanism, Eastern spirituality, manual therapies, rituals, initiations, and nature immersion. So I'll leave you to our conversation now. Much love to you all and enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Brynja. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, for listeners of the podcast who maybe was were listening to Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, I worked with the Black Panther um, totem that you have in your book in an epigraph for a few of the chapters. I've worked with your interpretation of the horse for an analysis I did on the never-ending story and that horse scene. I just really resource your book a lot in terms of my own animal totems that, um, you know, we'll talk about it here, but like how you map specific animals to people based on their astrology and their human design. Um, and everyone I've shared it with has just been lit and relevatory. And I just love this book so much. So I'm really excited to be talking with you. Um, for the listeners, I would love to just invite you to introduce yourself and share a bit about what got you interested in human design and animal totems and all of these systems that you synthesize together so beautifully. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that very lovely introduction. Um, sure. So I, oh, where to begin? Um, I actually, I started with the animal medicine, I think as a lot of people did growing up, were exposed to some of these books that talk about how we can interpret what it means when we run into an animal. And, uh, and then I started to use that, um, as a guidance method and it came a bit spontaneously where I started having these really mystical experiences where I was running into animals in nature and they were kind of predicting what was going to happen in my life with such accuracy and, and such um, like a poignant message that uh, I really didn't have a choice but to start listening. And the more I listened, the more it guided the way um, until eventually I had kind of the the main mystical experience that led me to start studying shamanism. And I didn't know anything about that. It's a long story of how that all got um, kind of exposed in my life. But I did an apprenticeship in shamanism with a shaman in the Pyrenees in France um, for three years. And right before I started with him doing vision quests and plant medicine and, you know, kind of interesting variation on the some of the modalities of shamanic practice, uh, he had said, before you get here, before you move in, learn human design and learn the gene keys or, you know, at least read the book and start getting exposed to it. So I taught myself human design. And then when I got into that apprenticeship, most of the people around me were also fluent in human design. So I was exposed to 
this system. And for those who aren't familiar with human design, uh, it is a energetic system that is based off your birth chart uh, and time and, and place. And it gives you kind of the blueprint of your energetic system and how you are um, kind of running a program that taps into your external and internal world, really as a, just a way to listen to your own energetic um, guidance from your own body and how everyone has a very unique way of tapping into that. And through those three years of apprenticing, of learning the gene keys and human design and continuing to tap in and listen to the animal totems. Um, and also using the I Ching because the gene keys and human design, the two new systems I had learned are based on the I Ching, which is one of the very oldest divination methods in the world. Um, it's 3000 year old text. And so I kind of started to synthesize these together because they're all archetypes and they're archetypes that are from either different systems or adjacent systems that work with the same similar archetypes. And I started to roll them together. So then finally, after three years of that, um, I, I had kind of the impetus to finally put that out there. And what that was, was a, um, a book that took the 64 eaching hexagrams the 64 human design gates, which are based on the I Ching hexagrams, the 64 gene keys, and take those three archetypes and put it next to an archetype of an animal totem that has a very similar meaning. And of course, animal totems are a language that has different interpretations through every culture. So it's not just there's not just one language of animal totems. Um, and so for me, what that did was it allowed me to work more deeply with the subconscious or, or symbolic meanings of the I Ching or human design and put that with something a little more, um, a little more archetypal because animal totems are an archetype that go very, very deeply. They're very old. You, you could say it's the oldest language um, or the language of the subconscious. And so this book, I came out with this book. It was my first book and it came out with a deck of cards and it has um, these four systems lined up next to each other. And just a paragraph describing each one of these archetypes, which are all kind of the same message, just through a different lens. And I think of it kind of like a Rosetta Stone. So if you're familiar with the I Ching, you can pick up that book and say, okay, so how does this hexagram relate to human design, the gene keys, or an animal totem? Or if you're familiar with an animal totem, you can look at these three I Ching systems and see how they all relate um, and through any one of these systems. So you can just kind of deepen the relationship to all of them through, you know, looking at the different versions of it. And I also find it really helped me remember. There's nothing like symbolism and totems, I think, to kind of touch your heart a little more deeply than just words. Um, and then it came to be. And uh, that was kind of like my my first baby. And then I uh, kept coming out with study materials every time I was learning a new system of something niche or occult or um, energetic or spiritual. I wanted to share my notes and just what I had figured out, because surely there are other people that want to dive into the same thing. And now here I am. <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of in the nutshell, how that all started. Um, and, but certainly, um, 
the the animal totems have remained probably my my deepest spiritual practice um because you you go outside and you interact with an animal and you're getting a message from something greater than yourself either your own subconscious which has led you outside to see that thing at that exact moment or something greater mother nature or the Tao or God or something divine brings you a message, a living, breathing archetypal message that your spirit interacts with. And I find that has been the clearest, the most accurate, the most spiritual um, messenger for me. And thank God, because they show up, these messages show up when you really need them and when you need clarity um, in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Wow. I really um, have had such a deep experience with your book because every time I've looked up the animals for friends, it it ends up becoming part of our vernacular of like, oh yeah, you've got jaguar, alligator, yeah, your snake, you know, and it's just like so dead on and so on point, even to the point where it's like I already have my animals tattooed on me, two out mm-hmm. of the you know four, <laughs> and. I'm reading the descriptions with a friend and he looks down on his arm and it's like, he's got the Latin phrase tattooed on him that you've written about in the description. It's like, it's been remarkable how uncanny and evocative your descriptions are and how you mapped these gene keys to animals. And something that I also really learned from you in this book was how to recognize, um, you know, like in tarot, we can pull like an upright or a reversed card. And so what is it like when an animal crosses your path in say like an upright or a reversed way, right? And so for example, there was a a hike that I was on years ago where I started to have this thought about essentially um, not playing small anymore, not being meek in, in this way and the situation And then I immediately came across a dead mouse. Mm. And in the moment I was like, is this a bad omen? I just said I wasn't going to be meek anymore. And now there's this dead mouse, but I actually looked it up in the book and it, it made sense of like a reverse totem could be a situation where the animal shows up where it's either like dead in the path where you cross it or there's something contrary happening. Right. So I Mm. thought about this book or Have you seen the film, The Neverending Story? Mm -hmm. Okay. Most people have. I just found out about it. But there is this like really critical scene where this boy is separated from his horse. And I was like, okay, so a separation from an animal could be reversed. So I think your book gave me a sensitivity toward reading animals in the environment or reading animals in art and even just understanding the differentiation between the totem or the reverse version of that. And I'm wondering if you could speak more to like the difference between, you know, an upright animal experience versus the reversal and maybe some examples. Sure. Well, to start, I I can't take credit for that. Um, That was how I learned it through the very first book on animal totem divination that I ever picked up, which was Medicine Cards by Jamie Sams, which is an excellent book. Um, And she added this contrary interpretation and that really that I resonated with a lot, um, which is that when we get a message, it always can come in a polarity. 
And that doesn't have to be good or bad, but it gives the full picture of the message that you're getting. Even if, even if it's not in contrary, it's just good to know what is the polarity of the message that I just got. Um, and I, I have so many great examples and stories and the one you gave is, is great as well. Um, that it, it's almost like, uh, when you receive a negative, a negative, not in a bad way, just in a opposite polarity way, doesn't have to be bad. Um, it can just be a message that maybe you've gone a little too far in a direction you want to, you know, course correct. Um, or maybe that there's a tsunami coming and you can't get out of the way. You know, sometimes it's it's hard to know with divination what exactly we can do once we've pulled a message or we've received a message. Can we get out of the way? Can we adjust our behavior? Or is it just saying, watch out, you know, put on your life vest, put on your life preserver because here's a big wave. Um, and it's very subject to interpretation. I would say there are some times where I've run into a den animal and I say, you know, this is this is giving me the insight I need to not do something that was a bad idea. And I can see it um, as a, if I'm really tuning in, maybe I can um, course correct before I make a step that wouldn't be beneficial for me. And then other times I have no idea what it means. And I'm just taking it as a warning that that's coming and just prepare yourself. And um, I had a teacher that, also worked a little bit with um, animal medicine and he had his own opinions. And he had said every time he receives any type of animal message, dead, alive, it's always to his benefit. He had felt that if it's dead, it's, it's the universe telling him he's doing a great job. And if it's alive, it's the universe telling him he's doing a great I job. Mean, and I honestly, yeah, I feel this way. Cause I've had, uh, monarch butterflies come to me in so many forms throughout my life, but often I've been with them as they're dying too. And I'm always honored to like be around a dying butterfly. Mm -hmm. Like they've been very significant messengers for me, situationally dependent, but even if there's no interpretation, I'm just like, so glad to be with them in that moment that it feels yeah. like they come to me at these very significant moments and it's affirming whether they're like alive and happy and flitting around or their like wing is damaged and they're dying. Like, yeah, it's always a gift, no matter what it is. It's always a gift and it's always a valuable message. It's not something that we want to, you know, interpret as um, harmful to us, but if it is in a polarity, that is still a really important part of the message. You know, if you, if you're around a a dying butterfly if that comes into your the periphery of your consciousness that it's telling you about where you are in your phase of transmutation and that doesn't have to be bad it's just it's giving you extra information to look in the polarity is extracting as much information from the message as you can and this is where it becomes a real art of interpretation because sometimes you you run into these complicated situations where it's dying, it hasn't died yet, or it's injured, and maybe you can step in and help it, or it's um, you know it's trapped, or something's going on with it, and your consciousness can interact with the state of this living creature that's bringing you a message, and to try to interpret that. It's almost like um, 
it's like looking at a mirror into your awareness. It's, I find it's one of the most incredible forms of self-witnessing to look at why is this message come to me now and why, how can I, how can I take this forward, whatever comes. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's really, it's really phenomenal. And you never know how it's going to manifest. Sometimes it's clear, like there have been a few times, I think the first time I ever found a dead owl, at first I was thrilled because, you know, what a beautiful gift, you know, like this is something I can take and preserve and keep the wings and, and, you know, take these feathers and it's beautiful. Uh, and then I had that sinking feeling of, but what does it mean? Oh my gosh, I've never... I've never come across a dead owl before. And I find every time I hear an owl hooting in the woods, um, it's like, to me, it's a sign of it's okay. You're going in the right direction. Don't worry. So finding a dead owl was kind of like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? What is the, um, what is it warning me against? What, uh, what path have I strayed from? And in that particular situation, I was planning to try and evade my visa in Europe so that I could get like 10 more days um, in France. And I realized that was a terrible idea and it wasn't worth the risk. And I shouldn't attempt it to try and, you know, jump through a couple of hoops to, to get around my visa. And I chose not to do that because I found this dead owl. And in that situation, I think it really saved me. Um, but then there are other times where, um, I, I don't know what the message is. I mean, the, I've, the last dead owl I found, I have no idea what it means to this day. And it's been like three months since that happened. Um, and it doesn't come till later sometimes. Um, but what I'll often do is I'll write down if I don't know what it is, the message that's coming through, um, I'll write it down. I have this big, thick leather bound journal with a page for every day of the year. And when really significant uh, animal interactions happen, I'll write it down and I'll write down what either happened right afterwards um, or I'll come back to it and I'll write down what happens because you can track the correspondences of life circumstances or the theme around this animal. Um, and that was one of the, the things that helped me write this book eventually was because I had taken so much, so many notes just based on my own life, interacting with, with these animals when they come and, and what happens right afterwards and looking at other people who have had interactions with these animals and to see what it's comes so up for them right after. Special, Brynja, because it's like, I see it coming up even in dreams too. Like the animals can come to us on the astral plane um, or even in like a Akashic vision. Like I had this whole week where swans were everywhere. Like I just had such a relationship to the swan in like a um, imaginal sense. And it wasn't something I necessarily chose. It just kept coming through, but like reading about it kept deepening the message. So I think it's interesting that these, um, you know, archetypes, when they show up in our consciousness, it's not random or of no meaning. It's like, whether they're there in re, you know, the waking life or in the astral plane, they're bringing that kind of message. Mm. I'm also wondering, like, Every single animal that I've like spent time with through pulling cards, um, 
before seeing them and then like researching them. It's just so deep. Um, I'm wondering if you have some that are like really present in your awareness now or that you'd want to dive into uh, for the sake of this episode. I feel like we could honestly like do an episode per animal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could. Um, Well, yeah, the, you know, it's funny. People say that they want to know what their spirit animal is. And that term by itself has some roots that um, can be offensive because um, spirit animal in some cultures is something that's very it's taken very, very seriously. And it's not something you just kind of flippantly involve yourself in. Um, but I think the intent for most people, when they speak about what is your spirit animal, they want to know, they want guidance and they want to tap into archetypes that resonate with them and show them how to be themselves more themselves. But my personal opinion is, is that, you know, when you work with totems, you're working with a language. So you wouldn't say, what's my word? you would say, you know, you work with all the words through all your life. There are just certain words that might come up significantly at different parts of life. Um, And so I, I don't work just with one, you know, I think things always change. Um, But you do have certain things that, that come up more significantly. And because I've attached human design with the animal totems and the gene keys that does tell you what is your most significant archetype um so for me it's the 13th gate the 13th hexagram the 13th um gene key which i've associated with the lynx or the bobcat but particularly the lynx um and i'm not sure if it's because it's my own um, or just the nature of of this archetype, I've always found it very mysterious and confusing. Um, do you know what your lead gate is in human design or your um how do your... I know which one is the lead? Because I know what I have before. Yeah, the um your lead personality gate um is your it's your personality son. Do you know um what is your birthday? April 6th. April 6th. Do you know what your gene key, I mean, uh, your incarnation cross is? Yeah, it's the cross of penetration. And my right. four animals are the panther, butterfly, moth, and beaver. All right. I'm going to look it up right now. Um, <clears throat> okay. So you are born, you said it was April? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. April 6th. So, you're, so you lead with the 51, which is the, the black panther. That's your, that's the main one for you. That's your main archetype throughout all your life. Okay. Which is, well, that's the one that um, I used as an epigraph for um, a chapter in the book. And the very first chapter of Hungry Ghosts of Paradise includes a, a dream visitation from a panther. So, yeah, and I it's have a, a panther very tattooed intense, on me. It's a really intense one. It's a blessing and a curse. And I think everybody wants, everybody wants like, these these really intense archetypes like the jaguar. Okay, well, I don't want to be selfish, but like, let's talk about it <laughs> because the gene key or like the hexagram with it. Um, yeah, reading this description that you wrote about the panther honestly gave me a lot of existential comfort for like my entire life, which is significant. You know, I don't read something every day where I'm like, wow, that just puts my whole ass life into context. <laughs> but it talks about you know shock. Um, and 
I think that I have these like radical shocking experiences often. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a way that I've, I've felt victimized by them of just like, why is this happening? But every time I lean into them, there's this awakening that comes from it. So yeah, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy to have a life theme because this is what it's saying. It's saying that your life theme, the thematic of your life, the, the flavor of consciousness that you're bringing incorporates these four main archetypes. And the, the leader of those four archetypes for you is shock. Now, the, if you go all the way back 3,000 years um, to the original I Ching, which is all based, this is all based off the I Ching, um, at least with human design and the gene keys. It describes a situation where there's a bolt of lightning and it's so loud and it's so close. You know, anyone who's had any recent encounters with a close bolt of lightning, it really, it's really very frightening. Um, And it says that everyone in the town is, is in a state of, terror when the bolt of lightning happens, except for the sage who is in a state of deep meditation. So when the bolt of lightning hits and you hear this loud crash of thunder, um, instead of being shocked out of his meditation, he goes deeper into his meditation. And then it says that even if you were shocked by the lightning and you, you weren't this kind of elevated sage that can go even more deep and isn't scared by a bolt of lightning, the initial state of fear turns into joy and laughter and kind of release. There's something um, joyous after you've had a, a frightening experience. And so I relate to that so yeah. many times over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's a hard one. Um, so if you pulled the I Ching for yourself and you got that piece of advice, it would say, you know, you're going through a shocking experience and joy can come after that. Um, and it can also be really healthy for your ego to, to have a shocking experience like that because it dissolves. It can be very dissolving to the ego. Now, in human design, the 51st gate also carries this, this message of shock. Um, and it's saying that if you carry this theme in your life, which you carry very, very prominently, you will carry the theme of having shocking experiences that are terrifying they shock you to your core and there's kind of a leap into the unknown when these shocking experiences happen. Um, but that you can be, you you're built to go into them, into the unknown and embracing that shock and embracing that unknown helps you to open to universal love. Um, and it's considered one of the mystical gates in human design Particularly the, it's one of the, it's in the shamanic, they call it the shamanic channel because it incorporates this theme of if you do a shamanic initiation, you will have to jump into the unknown and you will have to be shocked kind of out of your skin. Um, And then if you fully go into that, you open to this kind of universal love. Um, But also that these shocking experiences will continue to push you to be better and push you to transcend them and to, to use each one of these to level up. Um, So anytime I meet someone that has 
the, the channel that has the 51st gate or if they have the 51st gate very prominently in their chart like you do, um, you know that this person is kind of like taking a beating in their life. Like maybe physically, maybe going through physical shocks, maybe going through emotional shocks, um, or just constantly being reinitiated. It's like an initiation theme to have to be initiated over and over again. Um, and so that theme, um, which also is talked about even more beautifully in the Gene Keys, and I, I definitely can't do it justice to describe how Richard Rudd speaks about it in the Gene Keys, but he talks about a shadow frequency, a gift frequency, and, an, and an, a CD, which is like an elevated frequency. And the shadow is describing what happens when you get stuck in a fear state. And so this is these three, this one theme is broken down into three different ways that it can manifest in your life. And the shadow will come regularly. You can't just be in the gift or the elevated state. You go up and down like a wave through the shadow. And the shadow for the 51st gate is to be kind of in a state of terror. It's to be shocked, feeling like anxiety. Like I'm, I'm scared to be constantly shocked over and over and over again. And it gets in your nerves, you know, it's like a terror. Um, and that is part of the education of learning how to get to the gift, which is to embrace these shocks and to kind of leap into that unknown with this incredible courage um, and to be the first into something. Um, and, and so that all of those themes together, I found perfectly is illustrated by um, many cultures, the way they describe the Black Panther, which is this really terrifying um, guardian of the unknown that um, guides you and pushes you to leap into that void, um, fear or no fear, courageously leap into that void. and let it see where it takes you and to have trust that it will take you somewhere. And I think when you look at all of these themes and you hear it described through the lens of a Black Panther, it's easier to digest because not only does it feel like there you've anthropomorphized it, it's become um, almost like a, a friend or a guardian that's with you, pushing you, um, giving you courage to go into these shocks and, um, you know, putting a face to the uh, the trials of having this as part of your life theme. Yeah. <laughs> Can I be indulgent and tell you what the dream was? And I then I want to hear about the links too. Okay. Okay. For, yeah. The dream... Basically, I put it in the first chapter of this novel, but it's like an autobiographical story that influenced my entire 20s. But I feel like the start of the adventure includes a dream where a Black Panther like eats me in a dream. And I wake up and I'm like vibrating above my bed, like I'm like in my room again. And then I go right back to sleep and I'm slammed back into the same dream. This is maybe the only time in my life I've woken up and gone back into the same dream. But as I re-enter the dream, I enter an amphitheater that's like gorgeous, like red velvet. And this teacher that I'd recently done an initiation with is like telling me I've graduated. There's applause. And I exit the amphitheater 
and the Black Panther comes up to pounce on me again, but I grab it by the scruff of its neck and say, what are you doing? We're friends now and wake up. Whoa. (laughs) When was this? This this was when I was uh, 23. Wow. Uh, So it was like seven years ago. But even recently, the last time that I was experiencing personal, like a very devastating experience, I did an Akashic meditation and asked for guidance. And I had this like Black Panther guide me through a dark tunnel. And it calmed, you know, I read the description and I felt calmed down. But yeah, it's like that animal is already, you know, it was so profound to me. I got it tattooed on me. Like, and so this was all before, you know, seeing this book and just, being like, wow, that does really speak to me. Wow. Well, that's incredible. That's an incredible dream that gave me goosebumps. Um, I mean, I feel like that doesn't need any explanation. That's pretty clear. Like you, your, your archetype came to you. It dismembered you, you, it ate you, which is, uh, a very common, um, experience in people who do drum journeying is that they are dismembered their a totem comes to them, brings them to what they need to learn to answers, and then dismembers them. Um, but it ate you, which means it's like you incorporated it, or it incorporated you. And uh, that's really spectacular. Uh, especially since, you know, there's the the validation that this theme is like is astrologically, energetically imprinted into you and you felt that before what long before you ever knew that yeah and i i commend you because it is a really difficult theme the the 51 um you know and you don't get to turn that off and you don't get to just stay in the the elevated place of you know i've got it down like i figured out how to jump into the void um courageously and that's always going to be easy Every time it becomes easy, you get reinitiated into a new void <laughs> to jump into that's harder than the last. Um, and that is extremely challenging. Um, and I think it is comforting to know that whenever you do go into a period where you're feeling like you're facing a new void that's too too hard or more difficult than the last, Um you can just remember, you know, this is, this is what I'm built for. This is my theme of my That's life. What, yeah. There's something that you wrote, um, that actually is so important to me. Um, but it says it's the reverse totem and it says being such a mystical totem, black Panther already denotes facing the unfathomable In contrary, it is an attempt to separate from the yin and void like part of nature. There can only be an attempt to do this because it's not possible to elude the void. The void is found in birth and death and in every union and separation. The more it is resisted, the more unbalanced you will find your life becoming and the stronger the opposing force will become to bring back balance. It's natural to feel a lack of strength to let go of resistance, but this is an illusion of the ego. Allow this totem to remind you of the implicit strength and bliss inherent in you that's being smothered by fear. And I'm like, that paragraph is like a guiding. Like I could just let that be a guiding light forever, you know, because I love my peak experiences. I've had them, you know, and I have them continually and they're so ecstatic, but I also fall out of them and enter such a despair space. 
And I find that those are becoming increasingly spiritualized places for me to like remember bliss and to be in prayer and to be in ceremony. And often these voids lead me to the next unimaginable ecstasy that like my ego couldn't have dreamt it up. And every time, you know, that's the pattern, but it still shakes me every time. Like, even though I know the pattern, it still has to find some way to work or touch me. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, it's profound, but I love, you know, all of these, (laughs) like, it's just so deep. I really am so grateful for that. Me too. You know, there have been a lot of moments um, that I've been absolutely in chaos. And, um, you know, you just go outside or you go, you look at your dreams um, and like, and the message arrives. Uh, and the more you ask for and the more you look for it, the more it appears. And it is, it's very validating for me as well to hear these stories that it, um, it, it works. <laughs> and when, and when you, turn your whole being to have a conversation with this type of archetypal work, it shows up right away to talk to you. And I um, gave one of these books to a a woman that I knew through a friend and her main totem, her personality son was the uh, 15, the cicada. And the day she got the book, a cicada Flew oh, into I pulled her, that card her yesterday. Eye. <laughs> it flew into book. her eye Whoa. and then it, it kept flying into her, all different parts of her. It was banging into her. Um, and so in a similar way, it showed up right away for her. Um, and it's it's it un, it's uncanny the way that Mother Nature wants to have a dialogue with you. And as soon as you give her the 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 language. Or that as soon as you decide, as soon as you're holding a, a dictionary to, to the language that she's speaking, she starts talking. Um, and I've also found it really, really helpful, especially when, you know, you 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 will go through periods of going through the low theme. For you as a cross of penetration, it incorporates all the themes, including the Black Panther and, you know, this high, highly sensitive um, intuition. Um, and for you, you know, you're, you're breaking through, you're breaking into new territory as a cross of penetration. That's your whole thing is to start things and to break things open and to get into the new realm, whatever that is, if that's art, if that's science, if that's um, you know, interpersonal, whatever, it can be anything. Um, but that also means that you go through periods where you're not able to break through anything and you get really stuck and you get really scared and you try and like contract and withdraw because breaking into new things is shocking. And the whole system might get to a point where you feel like there's no way you can break it through anything and getting totally stuck. Um, and it's, I think it really is helpful to know what those themes look like so that when you go through them, which you will regularly, you have a little bit of um, like compassion for yourself or comfort to just know that that's a normal state. And in fact, you wouldn't be able to do the entire archetype. You wouldn't be bringing the entire archetype to the world if you weren't going through that 
negative polarity, you simply would not bring it to the world if you didn't go through the negative part of it. Um, wow. And this is this kind of gets into the realm of incarnation cross and human design, which I I wrote another book on, and it's a little more technical. In once you're getting into the technical side of reading human design charts, um, but the general idea of it is we have these archetypal themes that everyone carries, and you will go through the negative of that theme. Negative, it's not bad, but it can be very difficult. It's the slowing down, it's the inertia and contraction of that theme. Um, and for my own theme, I have the theme of changing direction and getting oriented to a new direction. And when I go through that, um, low frequency period, it looks like I have no idea what my direction is. I lose What's your all incarnation direction. cross called changing it's, direction or it's called the cross of the Sphinx. And it has all the directional gates in human design, the one, the two, the seven and the 13, and and I lead with the seventeen um with the thirteen and which is the links, um, which I've always found a bit mysterious. Um, all the rest of them make sense to me except for the thirteen. Um and it it is a normal wave pattern for me to be really, really oriented to I know exactly where I'm going, I'm going this direction, I know who I am, I know what's behind me. I know what's in front of me. And, and I'm just locked into this gravitational pull of what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I'll go through a period where I am beyond confused. I am beyond lost. I am so disoriented. It's like, I don't even know which direction is up. It's like getting in a washing machine and just getting tumble dried, you know, or, or, or just, yeah, spiraling around. What is it called when you get stuck in a wave and you're just tumbling through it? Um, and it's this extreme disorientation. Um, and while you're in it, it just feels like the worst thing in the world. But if you know that that period that for me, which is a theme of disorientation is exactly what has to happen for you to get oriented to the new direction. You have to go through disorientation to get back to, to orientation. And just to know that is heartening. You know, it, it, it makes it, yeah, you, you can't escape it. You know, no one can ever say I'm like so yeah, holy so that I never go through that. being a problem. You know, it becomes a a pattern. It becomes a ceremony and you're just with it. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say even now, like there are moments where, um, I'm in extreme confusion. Um, and it does feel like something I want to escape. Right. Just but, like I want to escape <laughs> the terror <yeah>. and shock. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with um, not enjoying the difficult parts of life. We don't have to enjoy them to get value out of them. And we don't have to enjoy them to know that they are crucially important to getting everything else we want to happen to happen. And so we can't bypass them. We can't do the spiritual bypass and say like, okay, I never have to go through like the dark night of the soul. Um, but actually I can make the dark night of the soul so fertile that I beget so much abundance in my life as it passes. Um, and I think that's a much more wise way to go about the dark night of the soul periods because some of the, there's a lot of, I think, spiritual rhetoric about like, 
this kind of toxic positivity or always being up and like everything's always great. Everything's always got meaning and everything has, yeah, know. you know, that we want to just move past these low periods and we don't want to dwell on them. But sometimes we have to be in them. We just have to. And we can at least give ourselves a little comfort to know that they're important and thematically inclined they're to powerful. what we're here to do. Yeah. And you use the word fertility and it's like, it's the underworld, it's subterranean. The dark night of the soul is like a really profound opening. But I find that um, I've survived and thrived within my dark nights of the soul because of the wisdom and the, the places I've found a map for even navigating that, right? And so I feel like, what you're offering in this incarnation cross, like teaching is like, here's a core pattern of like it's height and the thing that you're doing in this life, but here's also the cross that you're bearing with that. And I feel like that's really orienting because um, it's just now, even since having that knowledge, you know, before this interview and just kind of being in those spaces, it does give me faith to move through it, but also. I just think there's something that it does for the mind where it's like the mind can calm down a little bit because it has a map. Yeah. Um, I also, I really want to hear your experience with the links and just like what that animal totem is and how you see it move through you. Well, I can do my best because it's still a bit of a mystery. Um, but um, I go once a year to a big ritual in Mexico Um for it's a big prayer uh it's kind of um parallel in a way to the lakota sundance um but this is the moon is dance it the moon dance my it's friend dance. goes to that in i'll have to connect Mexico? you is it the one in central mexico i think so yeah it's a really big one i think it's the biggest um but uh, and there's many um it's a very powerful ritual and at the end of the ritual, you pray for uh, an, you pray for an animal to come to you, and um, and show you how you need to grow for this year. So, what you're praying for at the dance, you're praying and praying and praying for what you want to come your way, and then at, at the end of the dance, you ask for the animal that's going to help you manifest that, or help you get that, or learn that to come and be with you and, and guide you through the year. It's the animal that you need. That's going to show you the way to that prayer. Um, and each year, um, and there are some traditions that say that you should never share which one animal comes to you, but I've never heard that through this tradition and I, I'm far beyond. <laughs> I've done a lot of sharing, um, but <laughs> Um, the first year that I did this, it came very, very clearly, um, more clearly than I would have ever expected it to come. And uh, my life changed quite drastically after I did that first moon dance with that with it was kind of like the animal took me on the ride. Um, and I wrote the book, the animal totems and the I Ching book that we've been talking about directly after this very first moon dance I went to, it was almost like it gave me permission to write the book. And I, this book came out of me like a force of nature. It was like an explosive birth. I wrote the whole thing. I wrote and illustrated the whole thing in about a month and a half. 
Um, it was a wonderful, just like divine intervention of creativity. And the very last chapter that I wrote was my Nagua, my animal that comes to you, the spirit animal, which is the word for it is Nagua <clears throat> through this tradition. And I didn't want to write that chapter because I knew that when I wrote it, I was going to have to live it. Um, but it was the last chapter I wrote and it, it was described exactly what had just happened in my life. Um, and that was the, it was the tiger that year. Um, so this year, um, it was the lynx that showed up and, and I had thought that maybe it wouldn't show up just because it was already such a prominent animal in my cosmology of, um, my life. And also so mysterious to me that I I don't always exactly know what it means, um, but it showed up, and I I've been thinking about it a lot about what it means, and um, my understanding of the links is that this is looking in the past um, and looking at what we've learned, what we've been doing repeatedly. And it's listening, listening to what's going on around us, inside of us, what has happened. And if we can listen deeply enough, then we can break through a pattern and stop doing that pattern if it's not good for us and change. But you have to be able to listen with complete openness to what's going on within you. And the, the polarity, the contrary, the negative of this totem is not listening. It's not listening to your past and not listening to what's going on inside of you. And when you don't listen to what's going on inside of you, there's discord because you're not in coherence with yourself. You're not hearing yourself. Um, and so I keep thinking to myself, what, what thing from the past am I not learning from? What pattern am I trying to break? And what pattern is this going to help me break this year? And uh, I've given it many interpretations. Um, and I think my latest interpretation is that it probably has something to do with um, the my pattern of um, running away from things that are too intense. It's called The Leaving Pattern. It's a really, really great book called The Five Personality Patterns. It tells you your, your pattern of how you deal with overwhelm, which is there's five, there's leaving. You just peace out from situations that are too intense. There's the codependency, the merge, merging pattern. There's the enduring pattern, the aggressive pattern, and the rigid pattern. So I have a my pattern of dealing with overwhelm is to run away. So I think I'm that maybe this totem is coming to help me really look at the thing that I am trying to break out of, the pattern I'm trying to break out of and not do that. I don't have a lot of experience of interacting with Lynx or even Bobcat, but I have heard some great stories. For instance, someone who um ran over a lynx and then right afterwards decided to get back together with their um with their abusive partner like this kind of thing you know that's a con you you get the contrary medicine of not listening to the past and then you go into a repetitive cycle of doing the same thing that you're trying not to do anymore um 
So that that I'm trying to figure out, and also because it's so prominent in my my chart, um, I have hope that 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 means it's going to be a very powerful year of of um, coming back to myself. I'm also right in the middle of my Saturn return, so it's the perfect moment to really get a kick in the ass of um, figuring out what I want and what feels good to me and who I am. You could probably educate me a little bit on the uh, Saturn return. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my best That's my best uh, interpretation of it. And here's a fun fact that really has nothing to do with anything. But in human design... Changing directions. <laughs> it, it, does have to do with, it does have to do with the lynx and the bobcat. The gate of the past, I associated with the lynx because it's the secret keeper. And the gate of the future, I put with the owl because it looks into the dark, can see through the dark. There is a bobcat that lives around this area. And if it makes so much as a peep, all the great horned owls in the area start going nuts. So that for some reason, this the owl and the bobcat, the owl and the lynx have this relationship, at least in my area. I don't know anywhere else. Um, this like past and future archetype work together. Um, and yeah, I'm still learning what these messages all mean. Um, I, I can uh, update you maybe in a year <laughs> once my um, moon dance year is, is up and I see if I can break that pattern or if it makes a little more sense. We'll see. Wow. I mean, yeah, come back to the podcast anytime because I feel like your your work is brilliant and so like there's so much invention in it. And I feel like I know a lot of people in the astrology and in the human design, less in the human design, but definitely where human design and astrology crossover. And I just feel like you're creating these like profound not even just educational resources, but profound spiritual resources for people that are tracking these things. And I ended up giving this as a gift to a friend of mine that gave me an I Ching class a few years ago. Oh. And he was like, selfishly, I want you to learn I Ching so we can talk about it. And it was this like full circle moment to be like, here's this, you know, animal totems and I Ching book. But I just feel like um, I, I've been tracking animal totems through like Ted Andrews animal speak for years now. Um, and that's always been profound for me, but this resource has also just been like this huge opening. And I'm just like beyond myself every time I interact with it. <laughs> so I really encourage people who are listening to check this out, um, and find out what their animals are. And it's so cool to have just learned too, that you did this shamanic apprenticeship like I should have known that there was something like that <laughs> behind this work because it's just too uncannily profound every time for it not to come from like some magical shamanic apprenticeship I don't know <laughs> you know I, I think of creative work sometimes as um we can't really claim it um there's a great TED talk by Elizabeth Gilbert when right. when a have you seen one. it yeah Oh, I love it because sometimes the creative work comes through you and you're just the vessel. And I totally I never, believe in that too, to be honest. I, I, really I think do. it is about preparing ourselves to be an open vessel for creativity and 
then when we do, we're channeling. So we create something and, you know, I'll look back at what I've created and be like, wow, that came from me. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's funny to say this because it's almost like a pat on the back, but I, um, I look at this work and I say, this is like, this is kind of good. Did I make this? Did I write this? It's kind of amazing. (laughs) I don't recognize my own words often. I go back and I read it. I think like, this was pretty good. Um, that, and I wish it will come back. And that was what um, Elizabeth Gilbert said is that sometimes you create something and it comes through you in such a magical way. And that's how this project worked. I barely ate or did anything when I was writing and illustrating it because it was coming through so forcefully um, and so easily. Um, and then it's over. And then you go back to your life and you say, well, that would be nice if it would happen again. Um, And you kind of pray to God, to whatever, to say, you know, can you send me more creative projects that can come through me like this again? Um, Because it's, it's, um, you can't, you can't really take full credit for what wants to pass through you. And that's how I feel about this, um, this work. Um, and also it gives you a lot of trust when you feel that feeling of a creative work passing through you and you're just a vessel. It gave me a lot of, um, it gave me permission, but also trust that I don't need to micromanage how this book will be received. Like if it doesn't sell a lot, if nobody likes it, that's okay. Because I didn't, I didn't really have a say in it coming through anyways. Uh, it just happened. Um, well, it's brilliant that you let it come through because I feel like this is something I really reflect on with creativity and channeling and life force is like, we kind of have to get on board, like our human and our creative daimon, you know, however we want to look at it. It's like, there's a collaboration and there's a relationship and it's like, I'm in service to my muses. I'm in service to what's coming through me, mm-hmm. but it is like a negotiation you know, cause it's like my human has needs, my human has boundaries, but I can't afford to live a life where I don't, I'm not open to the thing that's coming through me. It's like, I don't choose that life. And so I think there is an art form of like being open to what's coming through. It's so like powerful to say yes to it, you know, and annihilating to say yes to it oftentimes. <laughs> yeah. And I would also pose it that our worst periods, those shadow periods we go through, they lay the foundation for that to happen. It's almost like you open, you unlock the door in your worst periods for your most incredible creativity to come through. Um, And if you can just muddle your way through the, the tar pit of your lowest points, you climb out of that tar pit, like gripping some creative thing, you know, <laughs> it's in your hand. You don't even remember holding on to it, but you come out of it, out of this like mystical darkness. And here in your hand is like the manuscript or the, the thing that you're going to bring into the next phase of your life. And once you've witnessed that happen one or two times in your own life, it does, you, it does kind of give you um, hope that when you're going through a dark period again, you say, well, at least maybe if I can get through this, I'll come out gripping the next big thing for me. If I can just like stay open to the fact that this might be the creative void. And while I'm in it, I can make some big prayers for the next thing to come through and just model through it. 
<laughs> Amazing. Like Pluto and Scorpio generation wisdom right here. <laughs> Brynja, can you tell us like how people listening, um, I'm going to leave the link to the book in the notes, but you have other books, other things you're working on. Like how can people contact you or work with you or what projects do you want to tell us about? Sure. Well, my website um, is my company name, which is Ceremonians, which I'm, I will attempt to spell C-E-R-E-M-O-N-I-A-N-C-E. So I'm on Etsy. I have a website, Amazon um, and uh, Instagram, TikTok. Um, so all of my products are there. Um, I'm working on a new book now, which has been the exact opposite of the like easily flowing, um, creativity that just comes out without a hitch. I've been going through the, um, I'm writing about yin, the mysticism of yin, um, which is very similar to Taoism and Wu Wei, um, just reframed in a way that might be a little bit more, um, graspable and implementable. And I feel like I'm getting a lot of lessons in yin as I'm trying to um, write a book about yin. So there's a lot of slowing down (laughs) and difficulties and um, challenges and pain and darkness and all kinds of stuff. So that's, that's on its way. I think once I finish learning my lessons in that department, I'll finally get the book cards to uh, come out one of these days, but I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, most of my products right now are related to human design. So learning human design or going deeply into the incarnation cross. Um, And then the animal totems and, uh, and it goes on and there's, yeah, I also do readings um, here and there for, for, um, I was wondering if you did, because I feel like I just got so much insight from the generosity of what you shared about my black Panther totem. So yeah. Readings. Yeah. I do a little bit of readings. Well, that was the whole reason I wrote the incarnation cross book was because I came out with a deck of cards that included information on the incarnation cross. And then I, um, just started to get all these requests for readings. And then I just published, I just published all of my notes on the readings so that everyone can have that. It's easy to access. Um, but I do intro to human design readings and I do incarnation cross readings here and there. If anyone wants that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where I am just in, in the back end publishing, um, department right now. Um, and, and I'm around, you know, I'm easy to contact all my information and my email and my Instagram is it's all out there. So if anyone has any questions or interests or whatever, I'm here. Thank you, Brynja. I'm so grateful for everything that you've channeled and it's just been so impactful and magical. So thank you for everything that you've done to make this accessible and share, you know, share your notes as you put it. They're like fully fledged revelations, (laughs) but (laughs) whatever we can call them notes. Thank you so much for it. And um, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much. 